Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. We are here with a great group uh, talking about an article Tori picked this week titled Gender Biased Communication in Physical Education. It was written by Julia Valley and Kim Graber and published in 2017 in JTPE. Uh, we got a similar crew as last time, Tori, Kevin, and Aaron. Uh, but I'm going to go to you, Tori, first and just ask, uh, why did you pick the article? Sure. So... This topic has been something that has been really prevalent in my mind, I mean, obviously all of my life, but uh, brought forward in my undergrad with really good uh, professors and Jane Jenkins and Karen Goodrow that identified the issues related to communication and gender in ways we could do better. Um, and it's just been a continuous topic throughout my master's, throughout my doctorate, into my early career. And in recent conversations with doctoral students at UNM, Krishna uh, Lohr and Martin Vasquez, they're talking about this subject a lot and some other uh, colleagues at Tarleton State and Kelsey McIntyre. These are subjects that continuously keep coming up and have for over a decade in my own life. And I think it's prevalent for us to continue having that conversation. So I wanted to use this article as a caveat to keep the conversation forward. Awesome. Um, what about uh, the rest of you all on the conversation? What, what were your first impressions? Um, so uh, I, I loved it. Uh, th there are two things about this article that really, really stand out to me. Uh, first uh, are the methods. Methodologically, I think it's an incredibly, incredibly sound article. Um, I think they explain and justify their methods quite well. Uh, and, and in many ways, it's exemplar in that respect. Um, I, I'm actually going to lie and, and say that there are three things that, that stand out to me. The second thing is the presentation of results. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of people claim to do within case and then across case analysis, and usually what you end up seeing is just the across case analysis. Maybe that's because you know journal page limitations are are restricting, but you usually don't see what the analysis that goes on within each individual case. Here we got to see within each of these teachers what their profile or their themes looked like. And then the cross case analysis was kind of a melding together of all of those. Um, the, the third thing that I'll say, um, and, and I wonder if there might be a wager going on a lot about how long it was gonna take me to, to get to this, but, but I saw a lot of socialization in this article. They didn't uh, explicitly frame it that way, but, but I think it's a really good example of how, um, you know, the, these kind of gender biases and gender stereotypes are just ingrained within a lot of people from an early age because of how we're socialized, you know, not only into teaching physical education, but just in, in life in general. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with, uh, I think the results section was really robust, very rich. There's a ton, ton of, there's a ton of content in there and a lot of quotes, but it wasn't, and Rich said, and, you know, Lauren said this, it was really well written. And the fact that she went in and observed 250 classes and that like when you, when you read that and you're like, okay, that is really like, she was embedded in that group and was doing a bunch of different um, interviews and informal interviews. And so I think, I think that was, that was really good. Go ahead, Aaron. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree on all accounts. I think the method, the methods were great. Julia um, and Dr. Graber did a great job uh, writing it up. I I agree with Tori, though, in the sense that this is something that 
piqued my interest as an undergraduate student at the University of Illinois, actually working with Julia and Dr. Graber, um, Julia at the time as an elementary school teacher. And I think that for me, it was just like great to kind of read it and, and see the, the literature on it. Although obviously we've seen literature come out um, over the years and I, but then I then reflected on like what I'm teaching my students and how prevalent this is in, in my language when I talk to my students at the higher education level, but then also reflecting on grant work. And we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more, but I work with a district that's primarily um, gender segregated for physical education because of cultural reasons. And so I was kind of reflecting on that as well. Go ahead, Kevin. So I, I, I'm a bit embarrassed because I just the, I just became very aware of the fact that, um, you know, as the only male here, I was the only person that didn't reference gender and at all in my overview of the uh, my reaction to the paper. Um, I think in part I didn't do that because Tori did it really well from the beginning. But but that's a very important thing for me as well in this paper. I really took something away from that. In fact, um, I was uh, I, I was preparing for a class that I taught today. Uh, a few days ago when I read this paper, uh, and that provoked me to, to put, um, you know, we were covering throwing and catching and, um, you know, introducing, uh, um, you know, elementary age kids to those skills. And I started off class, uh, class showing this clip from Mythbusters where they challenged that stereotype that you throw, quote unquote, throw like a girl. And we kind of led that into a conversation about gender stereotypes and, you know, what the, what the problems associated with them are, why we don't say you guys. So I, I just, I wanted to throw that out there, I guess, to make myself feel better because I felt, uh, I felt kind of bad that I didn't address that. No, and I think that, that was the biggest thing is it's the awareness piece. And that's what I found from this article so much that it was, it all came back to awareness. And I don't think, you know, we, as anybody out there is as aware as we could be. And partially it comes to being super busy and we push that down and we just go to the next step and it's just harder to be aware. Uh, and partially I think from, um, from being a man, like it comes from privilege, like as a man, I've never really had to deal with people saying and judging me based on my gender of saying, oh, you can't do that in this class or in this sport or you should not be doing this or that. And so I think that that's why in PEAT programs, the awareness raising is so important. And they talked about that in this paper a lot of, you know, the one, one teacher who was actually very cognizant of the language that they use um, was the one that had the the PEAT program that had her code, a systematic observation of her using language. What do you think, Erin? Yeah, I, I agree with you. But what I found really surprising was that even after these teachers were like made aware of these biases that were in their classes, like they didn't seem to, seem to have a need to fix it. Like they were like, eh, it's not that bad. Like it's not really affecting my students, is it? So therefore I don't need to make change. And I thought that that was interesting because this article wasn't written that long ago. And like for the, for teachers to have that um, perception was just really interesting to me because I thought that maybe we would be in a place where we would be moving beyond that. But obviously that's not necessarily the case. Look, I, I think that you're right on. Um, you know, Kim Oliver wrote this paper, Boys Not Letting Girls Play in 2010, right? And when when we did our last 
part of the REACH program in um, 18, 19. Um, we ran a girl program, which was basically about you know, empowering girls to be physically active, talking about body image, positivity, addressing um, issues young girls face. And it was all 100% girl-led program. The coaches were girls, and it was just like this kind of space for them. And when we ran the, when we coded the data from all these interviews and journal entries, you know, our, uh, our results aligned directly with that 2010 paper. It was exactly the same stuff that came out. And it was really surprising to us. And it just shows that nothing has changed in the last decade. And that really pisses me off. Like, to, to have all of this research being done, but the attitudes and the, and the concepts are not being changed and another generation of young people are coming up through and dealing with the same, you know, gendered practices that we've had all along. That raises the question: Why? Why does that continue to happen? Why do we? Why do we lag behind in research and practice? Why aren't we able to progress as much as we can one generation to the next? Well, I mean, I think that we see this in all areas of physical education, right? This. So, as you said, Kevin, earlier, this socialization piece where um, maybe it wasn't brought to their attention. And so it's about like getting the research in the hands of the teachers and making teachers aware and then working with them to change that practice. So actually, but then I think, as I stated earlier, the scarier part is, okay, now we saw the practice, but they didn't really like feel the need to change, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I thought was interesting in this article and they didn't talk about it too much and it might have been from the theoretical perspective that they were coming from but they talked about the intersectionality of gender with um, sexuality and um, other things and how like they so they didn't really elaborate on that but I think the literature has elaborated on that previously I know um, Amy Tischler and Nate McCautry had an article in 2011 around the same time that um, right after Kim Oliver's paper came out that was called PE is not for me. And it was about boys masculinities being threatened in physical education. And I wonder how that also like plays a role in this environment of gender segregation in physical education and having these um, stereotypical language because it doesn't like, yes, so this really focuses on the girls aspect of it, but it doesn't necessarily focus on the students that do not identify as male or female. That's true. That's a major added component that I think was missing, but um, not that it's a negative thing. I think we focused on a lot of good stuff in this article, but something that could be looked at down the line. But in terms of, you know, it being so concrete, I think going back to Kevin, your point, talking about socialization, with it being just such a solid, repetitive structure that this is acceptable language and acceptable behaviors. I know anytime I say anything, first off, I feel I have to pick and choose moments when I talk to teachers about the language that they're using if I feel it is gender inappropriate because I want to create positive relationships with those teachers. And sometimes I run the risk of them no longer wanting to work with me if I'm calling out gender stereotyping. And then uh, second, often if I say something, it has to be in a joking manner so that like kind of like, oh, you know, you probably shouldn't be saying that, right? And then they kind of laugh about it because I have to bring it up. But if I'm firm, like, we should not be saying that in that moment, again, I could cut ties with that school, cut ties uh, with the relationship that's already been built between a university and a school district. 
And they'll immediately or oftentimes, I should say, not always, but go back at me and say, oh, you're just a feminist. Or of course you would say that, uh, oh, you're just a university uh, minded individual, um, liberal perspective, things like that. So I've found that it's really challenging to bring it up and discuss it in school settings because I often get those responses. And particularly if there are, you know, several um, typically male teachers that are present, uh, it's much more of a us versus them situation instead of a conversation. What do you think, Erin? Yeah, I, I definitely feel you there, Tori. I think that it's hard to have those conversations with teachers, but it's not just about this topic. I think it's hard for teachers to hear critique about teaching in general. I mean, if we think about even our own teaching, like it's hard to kind of get that constructive criticism, right? And then try to apply it. I think with some of the teachers that I work with, um, you know, they, they make good arguments. And sometimes I find myself um, wondering how to essentially get them to a better place. Because one of the arguments that was talked about in the article around gender segregation was that the girls participate more when they're only with girls or that there was there was this positive they were trying to create a positive environment for girls by creating the gender separation right and so in the school districts that I in one of the school districts that I work with they they do separate um, males and females even though it's technically against the law right but they do it for cultural reasons because girls are not allowed to work out in front of males in in this particular culture and so it's like I'm torn because I think that they're doing it out of respect for that culture which I obviously commend and I think that that's really important but then we have this other side of the coin right where um, it's not necessarily good for everybody in that situation so like how do we work with those teachers to make that a better situation. I don't I don't know if there's an answer to that. Does anybody have any thoughts? Well, I mean, I think that where, you know, even like Mr. Danes in this situation, you know, he he did a gender segregated uh, class because the PE teacher who was female suggested it and said it was better. And so who is he to argue if the his colleague who's female says, hey, I think we should separate by gender because... The conversations I'm having with my girls is that, you know, they feel more comfortable. And there has been research on this showing that, and not conclusive, but there has been research that shows that, you know, girls are more interested in PE if, if it's gender segregated. They're, you know, different groups are more physically active when they're gender segregated. I think that's a, a scary road to go down. But this is what happens in other 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 countries. And, you know, in 1972, we have this law, you know, Title IX comes in and says that we have to gender segregate these programs unless they're doing contact sports. Right. But I don't know, like, I know that there's a lot of different situations where this could go better gender segregated. But I also think that, you know, separating by different things like competition level or what level they want to be at. And so then you're not just saying, you know, a really motivated boy can go in and play at the higher competition level or a really, you know, an unskilled boy in that specific sport can choose to go into the, uh, you know, less competitive group. And so when I was uh, explaining my 
reasoning there. I saw Kevin waving his hands. And so I want, I want to go to Kevin. And uh, what do you think? Um, so I, I was thinking specifically, I was working my, my mind through Aaron's situation uh, or the situation that Aaron brought, brought up, you know, the, the, the layer to that. And this is where I think it gets so difficult and so hard and why this work just in general is so hard, but you know, you don't want to impose culture on another group. Like you don't want to take your culture and try to force that onto another group of people. That's just colonialism all over again. So if part of their culture dictates that they're segregated and, and that's how they want it, then I have a hard time saying that it, it, it shouldn't be uh, segregated because that's a cultural issue. Um, but, but then on the other hand, I mean, I, I, I don't know that um, it, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. Yeah, it is. It is a tough, well, yeah. it's a tough situation to discuss period. And it's also a really complicated situation in reality. So how does how does that work, Aaron, in the in the program that you're in, involved in? Yeah. So I mean, the female PE teachers teach only females. Um, female PE teachers can teach the males, but a male teacher cannot teach the female the female classes. And then they go as like as far as like locking the doors to the gym before they participate in exercise. Um, because in this, this district is primarily, um, Arab American and, um, which traditionally has more of a Muslim, um, religion. And so uh, about 75% of the district kind of has those cultural norms where women aren't supposed to be participating in physical activity, uh, with men present. And so this happens in the middle schools and in the high schools. And so, I think that it is like this conversation, right? Because the other side of that is you might have um, boys who are in a, or girls who are stipulated in that sector, right? But then we're not allowing for students who might not identify with that particular gender. And so how does that play out? And in, in this particular district, it doesn't really play out, right? Like they have to be in, in that segregated class. And so although we're trying to be culturally relevant on one hand, right, and be respectful to the community, I think that then we're missing the leg on the other hand. And I don't know if there's a, a win-win situation in, in this particular case. Yeah, it certainly seems like it's easier to discuss in, in each specific category, gender, and then, you know, maybe sexuality or if, as if gender identified as male or female, that sort of thing. When it starts to get more expanded, it's kind of picking the lesser of the evils, I suppose. Um, I'm not sure that there is a full win in any situation. It's ongoing discussion. But I do like the concept of student choice. Um, I don't know the best approach towards it, but going back to what you were saying, Riso, with being able to select competition levels or um, you know realms of, of activity as opposed to this is a gender group that I want to stick with or um, some other identifying group that I have to stick with is going to be the biggest difference or I think a good next step that's conceivable and potentially students would be or teachers would be open to and I think the teachers in this article alluded to that as well if it's best for the students they have some interest in it even though they didn't really foresee that it would make a difference for them. And kind of going off of that choice I think as teacher educators we really need to be 
um, careful about how we explain choice to our students and offering choice because we saw the teacher in the article that thought that they were doing really good by let's say they offered I don't know what sport they said they offered but let's say it's basketball and they said oh the girls didn't don't want to participate in that so they have a choice to walk essentially but then what that meant was that all of the girls were walking or 17 or something of the girls were walking and one boy was walking because they didn't want to participate and the teachers were looking that as something good because they're still being physically active we allowed them to have a choice that was something that they wanted to do but in reality what we need to be doing and what we need to be teaching our students as teacher educators is offering the opportunities that everyone is going to enjoy and not offering only um, stereotypical offerings mm -hmm. within a class and so I think that that's really important as we think about like how do we prepare students to be better as teachers once they come out. Yeah and I, I like the challenge that they had in the in the article about you know they talked about how physical education was made by males for males originally and that you know, uh, they quoted uh, Jen Walton Fassett's 2013 article about asking to create PE experience that girls can thrive in rather than survive. And that that's just like an awesome call, but also so disheartening to hear that, you know, that is that is what so many students go to every single day when they go into PE. They're just like, I want to survive. And and Aaron, your, your point when when they said um the sport and the quote sport that was offered was dodgeball in that example and they're like well during dodgeball 19 of the 20 girls chose to walk instead you're like okay yeah most likely it, you know an a super aggressive game of dodgeball is you know scary for a lot of people period and so creating these thriving opportunities and really reconceptualizing what we think of as a PE experience is really important. Yeah, and I think in terms of content, I'll reiterate that point too, because sports, there's always the debate, are sports really what should be the focus of physical education? Are sports really the lifelong mover concepts that we're trying to strive for? There's so many other areas of physical activity or movement based activities that could be pursued and taught in physical education courses that are more friendly to all, not just particular genders that stereotypically, you know, all play football, all play basketball, why are we not doing things that are more adventure based or, um, you know, outdoors or general jogging courses, like simple things like that, that aren't sport based, that are more inclusive and uh, individualized or open to all people. Well, I mean, at the time that we're um, recording this podcast, then you might be listening to this years from now. So um, who knows if it's relevant, but it, it would be interesting to understand kind of the experience of students right now, as well as like um, the language that's being used in a time of online physical education during COVID, right? And how, like, is it following traditional things that we see in the classroom? Because the content is not. The content that we're seeing is a lot more fitness-based, right? And a lot more, what I would say, inclusive for everybody. And so, like, does the language follow that? I don't know. That would be really interesting to, to better understand. Yeah. And I think that the same, you know, talking about language using you guys is something that is so, like, normal for so many people and the 
the highest percentage of use of this was by the female teacher who was leading an all girls group, which was interesting. Um, but you know, I, I try to address this in our lower 200 level classes right away. And, and I just say, look, and I, I will mess up on it, but I will just say, you just have to be aware. Just when you say it, just know that you say it. And even if you notch down 40 times that you say it and you realize that you said it every time, then one, you need to try to change a little harder. But also like, it's just, it's awareness. And then you're going to slowly change it. And so I do this in one of my, you know, beginning classes in the 200 levels is I, I address the class as girls the whole time. Like in the beginning, I say, all right, girls, come on over, like, or girls come over here. And I, then I just like, am dumbfounded why the guys are not moving. And I'm like, girls, let's go. And then they kind of like, look at me super confused and they move over. And then I switch over to guys and I ask them if they realized, you know, and it's just like that, that language is so important. But I think Aaron, you brought up a good point when even though at the end of those interviews, at the end of you know, 80 some odd lesson observations, this researcher comes up and says, hey, have you thought about changing that language? And they're all, ah, I don't think it really matters. So I, I don't know how to get to that part, but I do know that, you know, through some socialization in a PEEP program, you know, we can have at least some sort of awareness building. And whether or not that changes because they go into a program that is surrounded by negative language they might be the one person that persists or maybe it washes out i don't know did i use enough socialization terms in there kevin yeah good appreciate you <clears throat> so what else what else tori or aaron were these um were these like situations that you you grew up in pe having this same experience or did you like the first teacher who was who had some zingers of comments I just looked at that. I'm like, oh, that's probably, uh, you know, uh, an athletic coach working as a sports teacher that I that I know from from my past. You know, did you experience these yeah, similar think, things? You know, go ahead, Aaron. You know, for me, um, I was very unaware of pretty much a lot. <laughs> Um, growing up, like I didn't really question things. Uh, and I think that part of it is just because I grew up in a privileged setting, right? Like I'm, I'm white, I was an athlete and that made me privileged in a lot of ways in the school setting and in an athletic and in a PE class. And so I didn't really like question things like gender terms being used. Like I, I'm sure my teachers used you guys and I didn't really think anything of it in all honesty, um, but I think that as I went through my undergraduate and then my graduate career and kind of coming across these aha moments, not just about gender, but about like race and cultural competence and all of that, I have become a lot more aware of everything. And I think that that, like, I honestly growing up was just unaware for whatever reason. Yeah, I think. I, I, things like you guys were just, they seem like a natural part of language, right? And that's what I've always told by my students to be like, oh, that's just what we say here at the Midwest or whatever, and um, got to work through that. And so I'm just as guilty of saying that phrase because it has become so second nature and a part of my day-to-day. -day. Um, 
But I do think there were comments made all through K-12 that stuck with me related to gender and carried on throughout a lifetime. You know, things like throwing like a girl or like feeling like I couldn't play football because I was a girl um, or like I shouldn't be hanging out with that group. Also, I think things like comments like, um, do you want me to hold your purse for you while you do that? Or uh, other comments like that that were often heard and almost like as an athlete, growing up wanting to be active and wanting to be respected in that way, I almost felt like I had to like not take part in some of those gender norms because I wanted to also be on this line where I was respected by people that were highly athletic, which was often the males. So I had to play that line instead of, um, you know, doing some things that maybe I wanted to do, but because it was considered a less than behavior because it was a female-based behavior and a non-athletic then behavior, I felt like I had to, um, act in a different way and I think that that carried on through undergrad and honestly even now there's times that I interact with people even in higher ed that make comments like this that um, are just second nature that are immediately overlooked or moved past and and if it's someone who's you know higher higher than me in terms of status that's something that I have to let go oftentimes because it's not really something that I can politically counter uh, so it's, it's prevalent in physical education, and I think in my day-to-day, particularly since obviously I work in a PE or sport-based setting, not to say, you know, as any of my colleagues that I work with now, I really do work with wonderful people, but it just comes up, and uh, it's something that we have to deal with. Yeah, yeah absolutely, Tori. I mean, I think that that is 100% true on all levels. Um, if I think about some of the examples that you gave like absolutely part of my life but again like I guess from the lens that I tend to look at things it's not necessarily something that I focused on and I should focus on it right because it it absolutely is important in the grand scheme of things yeah and I think you're right on there Tori if when you said we need to deal with this and I think that 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 isn't just that women in the workforce in PE, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a, you know, a student or a professor, whoever, it, it also comes, you know, on the other side of, you know, men advocating for women and having, you know, if you look at research and board meetings and all this stuff where, you know, women don't speak as much and men dominate conversations of, you know, watching and being, aware of that fact and then watching and seeing, okay, this person has been trying to speak for quite some time and then using your power of, you know, being able to interrupt and nobody like talking over you and saying, oh, hey, you know, Aaron, do you want to talk? Or I know, Aaron, you had a point that was really good that we talked about and kind of, you know, doing that you know, the small things, right? But also being aware enough to be able to have this like conversation with our PEAT students. And I think a lot of those uh, teachers in this study talked about, you know, what diversity classes did you have? And they said, oh, physical activity or physical education for special populations. And so they didn't necessarily have conversations about gender, race, ethnicity, and so on and so forth. And, you know, even to you know, I think there are programs that do that, but not every program has that conversation. So we are just, you know, pushing out teachers that aren't necessarily, you know, considerate. I, I also feel like this is a 
you know, this is a systems level failure. It's, it's, a, it's a systems level failure because, um, you know, as, as a case study, you know, I, I grew up in an environment where the kinds of things that Tori, you and Aaron are talking about were very prevalent and nobody or nothing ever challenged that that I could see. No, nobody ever, like, it just, it, you know, when you're young and you're growing up in a, in a culture like that, in an environment like that, you're socialized to view that as the right way of doing things. And until you have somebody or something push you to question, then, um, you know, you, you don't, a lot of people don't naturally question what they take for granted. And so for me, it wasn't until college that I had anybody force me to question anything about race, gender, ethnicity, or any other form of, of, of difference. Um, and uh, th that's a systems level failure, because what we know about teachers, for example, is that when we, um, when, when students get to our PEAT programs, uh, they have these subjective theories that are already fairly well formed and they're difficult to, to alter because they're built upon these years and years and years that they spent firsthand observing um, teachers and, and students in schools. And so a big part of that acculturation experience was the use of this language and the perpetuation of these stereotypes and this hegemonic masculinity, then, then that's going to be part of what they think physical education is. And then that's just one more thing that as a PEAT program, we have to overcome or help them see differently. Absolutely. Uh, Tori, Aaron, closing thoughts, ideas, things that we haven't covered yet. Um, I think that, I just want to reiterate your point, though, and I appreciate you saying it, that this is an everyone approach. And, you know, at times I feel like when I work with my undergrads, even with teachers, um, coming from the female perspective, it's appreciated, but uh, the male perspective, having an ally is important. And I think at times when you're working with those who identify as males in PEAT programs or in schools, hearing that from another male is powerful. So I appreciate the, you know, concept of allyship and the concept that we're all in this together trying to make an equal PE setting in K-12 and higher ed as well. Yeah, and I, I think that um, I agree with Tori, and I just think that this research is really important, like um, getting to understand, like, what is really going on out there. This was obviously for teachers, and so um, encouraging people to, to look at like teachers language and how that's used and maybe even trying to somehow work in that intersectionality I think is really important um, and how this plays out kind of in a world of 2020 and moving forward. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Tori. Thanks, Kevin. Um, really appreciate your time. I think this is a, again, what Aaron said, this is really great research and really important research. I hope um, you know, those of you uh, who are listening to, you know, go in and actually read the full article as well. I think it's really valuable. And for early career researchers who are looking at, you know, what a good research paper is, what a good in-depth, you know, uh, qualitative paper is, this is a really good example of one. So um, thanks, everybody. Appreciate your time. Uh, we are off at the uh, December article club. We're going to take that off because that would be right around our time that we have to take off from from work, quote unquote, uh, and we'll be back in January with another uh, article club. So thanks, everybody.